Leviticus chapter 25. We're right in the middle of Moses' explanation about a number of things regarding the land and the people and what they're to do once they come into the land. In particular, Leviticus 25 verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land, pause right there again, when you come into the land, they're not there yet. There's a long journey and a long process to go through before they get there. Um, my life's verse I shared last week, Philippians 1.6, uh, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even, even unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a long process we go through. You know, some of us convert quickly and shed thoroughly the things that need to go. Others of us seem to drag our feet and take our time and go through a big process to come to where we need to be. It is a process. It's a little bit different for every single person, but the Lord brings us to the place. If we are submitted to him, he will bring you to the place of completion. It's going to go all the way until you're in the presence of the Lord. If, if you're thinking, like, I'm just anxious for the day where I don't have this struggle anymore, chances are, if you're thinking that, you're going to have that struggle for the rest of your life. Probably because that's your character. That's your personality. That's your circumstance. Much better to embrace the idea of, I'm going to be contending with this for the rest of my life. Because within that, you'll start to have some victory. Right? If you knew you were going to have to live at the same address for the rest of your life, and that you had a certain difficult neighbor that lived next door, and that he was going to live there for the rest of his life, you might go through all kinds of emotional wrangling and then eventually you're going to have to settle into, how am I going to deal with this guy? And you might be like, I know, I'll throw firebombs over the, you know, any number of things. But the realization that that's going to agitate the problem, you're going to have to find a way to have victory. Right? You're going to have to find a way to really conquer the situation. You're going to have to do that with yourself. The things that you contend with. It is going to happen. They're going to come into the land. Christ has promised you victory. When you come into the land, which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. The land is going to have a Sabbath. Six years you shall sow your field, Six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. 
for it is a year of rest for the land. The Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and female servants, your hired men, the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land. All its produce shall be food for you. So to clarify that last statement, he doesn't want them to harvest in the idea of don't gather the workers, get out the barrels, run the carts out into the field. You can eat the food, but I don't want to see any organized harvest going on. What comes naturally, what reseeds itself and comes up, right? The vineyards had to be tended every year. The weight of the vine, the, the extended growth breaks off the lattice work. you got to pick up the leaves out of the mud, wash them off, tenderly tie them to the lattice and let them grow and produce food. You just let it go. Don't touch it. you got to understand the degree of trust that's involved in this. For these people to come into the land and go for the six years and trust that the sixth year of harvest, they're going to be able to store up enough so that the following year when they don't work, they're going to be able to just eat of what naturally grows and what they've stored. And then they're going to have to plant the following year and then let it go through its full growth and then have it for food. Three solid years is what you're looking at. With a year in the midst of no work at all. Year of planting and then harvest. First year, second year, no plant, no harvest. Third year, plant, but you don't reap the harvest till the end. That's a lot of trust. For farmers to just say, okay, we're going to trust God through this process. Now, I've heard all kinds of explanations about, oh, and they do this, you know, today. Farmers have learned the wisdom of what God is saying about how ground needs to lay fallow. And so they rotate their crops and they'll plant and plant and plant for six years, but then it's in rotation. So every seventh year, there's one section. Of, that's not what God intended. More than anything, right? The fallow ground certainly has a fertilization effect on the crop. It's going to be hard. This is about trust, 100%. This is 100% about this people trusting that God is their sustaining power. I think, again, a lot of what's going on right now is people learning, who do you really trust in? What do you really trust in? Do you really trust God? Do you really trust him to obey what he said to do? Proverbs chapter 3 beginning at verse 5, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the king with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. 
If you've ever listened to Gail Irwin or read his books, uh, he tells the same stories over and over again. And I'm similar, at least in that fashion. You know, he'll, he'll start by saying, that reminds me of a story. And then you've heard the story a hundred times. I, uh, many years ago, had a motorcycle. And the spring of the year was coming around, and I was getting the bike out and getting ready. I was about to start riding, and I heard the Lord very clearly say to me, I want you to sell that motorcycle. I was mowing the lawn. And the argument started right there. <laughs> and it lasted for a better part of the day until by that afternoon I was convinced that the Lord was telling me to trust him and sell the motorcycle. No reason to sell the bike, but okay, fine. I had bought it for fuel economy back when we were, you know, post 9-11 paying for something, sometimes almost $5 a gallon, and motorcycle was economical, but that was passed, and it was just about the pleasure of riding. So sell the motorcycle. Okay. Rolled it out next to the road, put the for sale sign on it. My wife came home and was like, what is wrong? So I don't really know. The Lord told me to sell a bike, and we had this conversation, and she just, I know she walked in the house thinking he's lost his mind. She wasn't a fan of the motorcycle, but just, you know, I've heard from the Lord, let's sell the bike. That bike didn't sit out there for three hours. Neighbor stops in. Christian brother I'd never met before. Lived three doors down. He was driving three hours one way to work. To do construction in his big V8 pickup truck every day. And had begun to pray, Lord... If you can give me a more economical way to get to work, I really need it. The money he had for a vehicle was exactly what I had paid for the motorcycle. So I got that money back, no loss. I had the bike for a few years and was able to sell it to a brother. And literally uh, the next day he's driving it to work and honking the horn as he goes by my front door. Saving his family a tremendous amount of money. Now I got the money in my hand, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? You know, and I've got all kinds of dreams, and the Lord says, no, you need to hang on to that, which is a rare thing for me. And two days later, a drywall screw in my pants pocket came out in the washing machine and cut the tub on the inside of the washing machine all the way around as it spun out, literally cut the waterproof tub in the washing machine right in half. So that's what I spent my money on, was buying a brand new washing machine for my wife. And then we went out to dinner with the like 35 bucks that was left over. So I often would tell people that my motorcycle was a Maytag. <laughs> It was the next spring, I had filled out my taxes right in January, and I get a check in the mail from the United States government. 
and I don't remember specifically, but it was like $358.12. And they were very apologetic about our calculations were incorrect and you overpaid us, so here's your money. You know how often that happens. So I said, my wife, this is crazy. You got this check. I can't believe it. And, you know, just, and again, the Lord says, you need to just hang on to that. This is a full year later. I'm thinking, okay, I'll hang on. Not because I'm spiritually mature, just because the message is very clear in my heart and mind. Don't spend that money. And I got all kinds of things, not like stupid things like I could put new tires on the car. I could, you know, all that practical stuff. And the Lord is just saying, hang on to it. And two days later, the dryer blows up. Now, this is an RCA we've had for 25 years, and I've already rebuilt it three times. No joke. This time, it's kerfazzled. That's a highly technical term they use in washing machines and dryers. So anyway, I had to throw it away. It's no good. So I go down to where I get the washing machine. And there is the exact match to the washer that I bought my wife a year ago. And as I'm looking at it, and I really want it, I say to the guy, need this dryer right here to go with the washing machine I bought a year ago. And he comes back and says, unfortunately, that floor model is the only one that we have. And I say, uh, well, would you sell the floor model? And they have a discussion about it. And they say, well, it's kind of scuffed up. It's been out here for a while. If you'll take it, we'll sell it to you without even charging you any tax. Rebecca and Abigail, my two daughters, are with me. And that's the first moment that I realize that the price of the dryer is exactly to the penny what I have here in the check from the United States government. $356.12. Like right. I'm, I'm literally making them feel all awkward. Like I'm holding the check right up next to the price tag. Are you looking at this? Let this be a life lesson to you sort of attitude. They were blown away. Brought it home. Hooked it up. Works great. Still have it to this day. Trust not in your own understanding. You know, are our lives focused on the Lord in such a way that we can know and understand what it is that he's saying to us. See, people relegate this path. Oh, Leviticus. I mean, good Lord, that's Old Testament. Surely, you know, that's for ancient people from long, long, not to me today. How could this have any application to my life today? Do you trust the Lord in all things? Truly trust the Lord? Do we? If you don't understand, listen, don't feel condemned. If you don't, understand the glory of the promise. Understand what he's offering you. Let him be your fulfillment. Look at verse 8. You shall count seven Sabbaths of years. Okay, so now we're talking about seven year periods of time. Count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Seven times seven years. The time of seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound 
on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year to proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you, and it shall neither sow nor reap, what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of the untended vine. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. Now I made note of Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. New Testament application. I just want to read this to you and sort of let the scripture be an explanation. In the year of Jubilee, it was the idea that if you had sold a piece of land, and there are many applications, but I'll just give you this application. For the nation of Israel, selling of land was more the idea of lease, not sale. So returning a possession to someone was a matter of, okay, the year of Jubilee just happened, and now we're in year one. And I've got this big plot of land, and you want to buy it from me? The purchase agreement is essentially a lease for the next 49 years. You're going to look at the land and what it can produce for food, and you're going to say, I'll pay you X number of dollars to have that land for that period of time. And then at the end, I release it, and it goes back to belonging to you. You, you swap land in this way. You release one another from debts. Sometimes when people read this, they think of it just like, yeah, and all the credit cards are canceled. That's not how it's done at all. Okay, It, it is a matter of, you know, you're making an agreement as far as working for someone based upon how close you are to the year of Jubilee. You're looking at land leases based upon how close you are. If there's only 10 years until the year of Jubilee, then you only set the land lease up for 10 years. You do it according to that release date that the country operates on. Again, a tremendous amount of faith. Where do we have a New Testament application for us? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Many of you have heard me teach long sermons on investing in what you know you should be falling in love with. Because we will invest in stupid things and fall in love with them. Okay? My illustration is always old beat up pickup trucks. There are guys all around this area who have torn the bed off and put some pressure treated lumber deck on it. And you dare say anything bad about that truck and you're going to have a fight. Because that's the best truck that they've ever owned. Why? Because their blood, sweat, and their tears are invested in it. They've invested in it, therefore they're in love with it. This is my admonition to every couple that comes and says, I've fallen out of love with this person. 
No, you haven't. You've stopped investing in them. You need to start reinvesting in them. They don't deserve it. You're probably right. You know how I know? They're a human being. They're sinful. And they've failed. If you invest in them, you will fall in love with them. And they may fall in love with you and begin to invest in you. And then they'll fall in love with you all over again. It's a beautiful thing the Lord has done. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we got our act cleaned up. Extend the same grace to those you're supposed to. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, the whole body is full of light. If the body, if the eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. Uh, basically, you've had your point of view change, right? Yesterday it was awesome. Today it's of the devil. <laughs> you know, your point of view is everything. You need to allow the word of God to illuminate your heart and mind. And it will free you from that evil darkness which overwhelms us. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. And here's the real punchline. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot. It's mammon. But mammon is mummy, uh, money. Power. The God of money and power. You can't serve God and money. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. So what do we do? Don't worry. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns or bank accounts or 401ks or Bitcoin or investments or none of that, right? They don't store up anywhere. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And let's just be clear, right? For all of the animal lovers, we are more valuable than animals. God has a, an exceedingly high price on us because we were created in his image. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Right? You never walk by that whole field full of lupin and you hear them out there just going, I'm going to be beautiful. You know, I just They don't work at it. There's no stress, no strain. You don't see them, you know, just scrolling down through Amazon, you know, purchases all day. They just are as God has created them. God cares for them. Don't worry. God clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Literally fire starter. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore... Do not worry. Now that's an imperative command. Stop. Don't do it. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the unbelievers seek. It says the Gentiles, but it really means unbelievers. You profess to be a believer, profess to be a Christian, and yet you're consumed with worry. 
You're probably still a believer. I'm not making any comment on that. I'm saying we're behaving like unbelievers when we function that way. We need to change that for sure. For after all these things, the Gentiles or unbelievers seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Any of us that were fathers, we, we very much have a sense of wanting to take care of our families. And even if we don't have the capacity to do it, uh, we certainly have the desire to do it. And if we have the desire and the capacity, we do it without question. We want to take care of our families. How much more our Heavenly Father? The Father knows, but here it is, the answer. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I'm just going to end right there for today. Seek first the kingdom of God. For all that we discussed in our time in sharing communion together, for everything we just looked at in regard to the nation of Israel and how they're going to function, it comes down to first priority. Seek first the kingdom of God in your life, your life alone. You don't have to look for it in your kid's life. You don't have to look for it in your spouse's life. You don't have to look for it in the boyfriend or the girlfriend's life. You've got to look for it in your life. Seek out the kingdom for yourself. And then all of these things will be added unto you. That's a promise from God. What is your heart's desire? What is it that you think you need? When Proverbs tells us, I say Proverbs, might be Psalms, tells us that the Lord will give us the desires of our heart. The health, wealth, and prosperity movement has falsely taught that whatever you desire, that's a promise from God. You desire it, God's going to give you the desires of your heart. Has anybody in this room ever had desires that were wicked? Boy, the hand didn't go up right away. Two hands. Okay, thank you. Right? Isn't it wonderful that the Lord has replaced those? See, that's what he meant. When he said, I'll give you the desires of your heart. He, he literally meant. That's the only proper interpretation of that. Is that your desires are wicked. I will take those desires away. And I will give you the desires that belong in your heart. I will give you the desires of your heart. Right now, right? You might be thinking, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to me. Great. I've got a long list of things I want. If you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, one of the first things that's going to happen is God is going to help you lose the desires that are wrong. And he's going to replace those with the desires that belong. And that's where you're going to find your fulfillment. This godliness with contentment, which is great gain, that's all a product of knowing God personally. My prayer, especially as the world spins wildly into madness for all of you, is that you would know the Lord in this way. That you would walk with him. As a pastor, this is my earnest desire. That every one of you would have that fulfillment in your life. 
That when we talk, when we greet, the contentment, the joy would be present on your face to know I'm walking with the Lord the way I should and it's producing in my life what it should. That's a wonderful thing. It's a painful thing to see people who don't have that contentment, who don't have the fulfillment. And they're seeking after the things and the stuff, thinking, that's what I need, when in fact that's like drinking salt water to cure your thirst. It's just going to build an intensity of thirst and create an insanity that no one can help you with. The living water of Jesus Christ bringing the satisfaction to your soul is going to be the thing that produces the fulfillment. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we are grateful. We are thankful for all that you have done and all that you do and all that you have promised like the children of Israel. You said to them, when you come into the land, Lord, we want to see these things fulfilled in our lives. Accomplish your work. Perform your will. Help us to cooperate with you. Fill us with the strength of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.